time for the Retirement Roadmap Podcast with registered financial consultant, Glenn Mosseller. Well, thanks for joining us for another edition of the Retirement Roadmap Podcast. Walter Storholt here alongside Glenn Mosseller, registered financial consultant and the founder and president of Roadmap Financial Consulting with an office in Greensboro on Mears Chapel Road. You can find them online at roadmapfinancial.com. And today we're talking about one of my other favorite subjects in, a different, in addition to talking finances with you, Glenn. It's talking about real estate and, and homes. I've, since becoming a homeowner about, uh, well, I guess, eight years ago now, um, I just have always enjoyed talking about buying houses and real estate in general, even if it's part of investments and that kind of thing. It's always been just kind of another thing of interest for me to discuss. So I'm looking forward to today's show because we're going to talk all about houses, uh, homes, and retirement plans, and the different conversations that kind of happen when speaking about retirement and how the role of the home fits into the equation. So this should be a lot of fun, Glenn. Do you have, uh, is this a, a normal part of your conversation with folks when they come in to meet with you for the first time and you start going through their retirement plans? Oh, absolutely, Walter. I mean, you know, it's it's one of the, it's one of a, it's a big topic, right? I mean, because you've got, there's, there's a lot of pieces to this puzzle, you know, you know, whether or not there's still payments or not, um, if, it, if the house is paid off or when it's going to be paid off, um, are folks wanting to downsize or possibly move to a different, you know, a totally different city or, you know, state or something. I mean, there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle when we're talking about housing, housing wealth and, um, you know, and, and how to potentially, you know, utilize that in the retirement planning. And that's that, then most people don't really think of it in those terms of, of, you know, utilizing it within the retirement planning. It, it's, uh, it's kind of like something that's like, okay, that's set off to the side. That's like my house is over here. And now let's talk about, you know, the, the other pieces of the puzzle. Most people think in terms of like the retirement accounts, their 401ks, their IRAs, 403Bs, you know, TSBs, all of those kinds of accounts. But realistically, you know, as, as we look at everything as in a holistic way, I mean, we want to look at all of the pieces of the puzzle and make sure that we are, you know, are, are thinking in terms, you know, the right way that we can we can take advantage of all of the advance, you know, all of the different um, ways that, that folks can position their assets to serve them better, and you know, and, and meet their goals, you know, now and also in the future, as well as their their legacy planning goals. Well, that's a great point, Glenn, and uh, glad to hear that uh, this is right up your alley as well. It sounds like so. Whether it's downsizing or uh, thinking about rental properties or interest rates for current homes, we're going to kind of explore all these topics on today's show as it relates to all things housing and retirement. So I imagine one of those really big questions that you get and cover with almost everybody, Glenn, is this conversation about paying off the house as soon as possible, you know, trying to get completely debt-free, maybe that house being sort of that last, uh, that last piece of the puzzle. Or if you've got a low interest rate, which I imagine most people do these days, especially those close to retirement and maybe have uh, refinanced their home, at least sometime in the relative near past, they've been able to reap the benefit of a low interest rate, uh, and they pay it off slowly and, and take that debt into retirement. Where do you stand on that debate of paying it off fast or just enjoying that low interest rate and, and paying it off more slowly? Well, Walter, I mean, it, it's obviously you know, we're gonna, you're gonna, everybody's gonna go. Oh, here he goes again. He's gonna say it depends, right? And <laughs> and of course, it does depend. Now, here's the key thing: it's just like you know, paying the house off or not paying the house off. You know, that's an interesting you know conversation in and of itself in terms of the way that home equity works. But you know, in more often than not scenarios, when when we're talking about people in retirement or close to retirement. You know, they've either already paid off their houses in a lot of cases, or 
they are relatively close, meaning that they're within a few years of paying it off. And whether they've refinanced or not, if they're within a few years of paying it off, then if they've had an amortized loan, whether it be a 15-year loan or a 30-year loan or whatever the term might have been, if they're in the last few years, more often than not, the way amortized loans work is, is that they've paid most of the interest and virtually all of their payments in most cases are going towards principal. So when you're looking at that scenario, it, it, it really creates a different dynamic. When you start thinking about that, it's just like, well, should I go ahead and say, you know, I often get the question, well, I've got this money sitting over here in this account. It might be a bank account or some sort of a retirement account or whatever the case may be. And folks are like, hey, I just I want to get rid of this payment. So you, what do you think? Should I just go ahead and take this lump sum and then pay off the mortgage? And so when we're in that scenario, particularly when we're thinking in terms of, you know, if there's, you know, if we're in the last few years of an amortized loan, it's like, well, well, how much interest are you really saving by doing that if the, you know, if, if almost all of your payment is principal anyway, you know, and, and, and if you take that lump sum of money and pay it, pay off the mortgage, now suddenly you, you know, you have, you no longer have, you know, access and control over that lump sum of money. And you may or may not have really, in, 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 you know, enhanced your position all that much because, you know, if you if you were almost all, all principal in your payment anyway, you know, you could have just continued to make that payment and really not had that much more interest, you know, that, that was going to be in the loan anyway. Does that make sense, Walter? Yeah, it does make sense. And I think that uh, a lot of people, you know, probably feel a little bit differently about that debate. I think emotions play a big role there. Uh, you know, so oh, yeah. just might be more comfortable having that debt paid off, whereas others want to make, you know, try and get that edge and make the smartest financial choice. And, and sometimes those two things don't align <laughs> what the emotions tell us to do and what the logical financial choice is. And so we have to kind of, uh, you know, work through that debate a little bit. Makes well, sense. and too, Walter, like you say, I mean, it's like, you know, and you say, you know, getting that debt paid off, you know, and so, you know, and, and that's typically how most people think of it. And I like to think in terms of when I have a conversation with folks, you know, when, when I ask, you know, when we start, that term may come up and say, well, I've got, you know, we've got the debt of the house and we want to get that paid off. And I'll say, well, you know, do you have any other debts like, you know, personal loans or, or credit card, you know, debt or cars or anything like that? And a lot of, a lot of times folks say, well, no, 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 the only thing left is the house. And they may have significant assets and then they've got the, 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 the home loan that, that has not yet been paid off. And so, you know, I like to ask the question. I said, well, if you're looking at this as, as like a balance sheet and you've got all these assets over here and then you've got this liability over there and you have the ability at any point in time to take a portion of those assets and pay off that liability, then are you really in debt or do you just have a liability that you're that you're choosing to pay over time versus, you know, you're really in debt? And so, you know, and that, and that, and most people kind of get puzzled by that, by that question and then that line of thinking. And my personal definition of debt is a little different than probably what a lot of folks think of. And, and my personal definition of debt is, is that if you have an obligation or a liability that you have no other way of paying other than money that you have yet to earn, right? That's true debt because that means that you're now having to, you know, you're paying from future income, you know, what you have no other way of paying for. And that is, is now, now you're really in debt because you don't have anything that you can, that you can offset that, that liability with. But if you have other assets that at any point in time, you could say, hey, I'm going to take a portion of this and pay that off. If you have the ability to do that, 
well, then you may or may not want to do that. It just it's just whether or not it's advantageous to to stretch those payments out. But that is a that's not necessarily in my in my way of thinking debt. It's just it's just hey the, you you've got a liability that you can choose to pay or not to pay. But you know let's look and see if it, if it's in your best interest to pay that off you know rapidly or whether you're just as well off to you know to make the payments over time. And when we start really delving into that, it's it's like there's oftentimes there's like an aha moment and the light goes off because like as we were talking about before, there's a, there's a lot of scenarios there with the house that there's almost no interest left to pay. And so in that case, it's like, well, why are you going to take in essence, it's like if you if you're going to take money out of your right pocket and then put it into your left pocket, and you're taking something that's liquid and probably earning some interest, or, or possibly you know you know earning earning something more than interest, and now now put it over here and you know and 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 pay off something that is going to be more stagnant, and now you no longer have the access to that cash, and you know what's what you know how did that enhance your position and of course everybody's position is going to be different and everybody's situation is going to be different i'm never i'm not telling people never pay off your house on one hand on the other hand it's just like let's you you know you really have to look at how does it fit into your overall situation and that's a different conversation and i think it's worthwhile for almost everybody to have yeah, that's a great point. Uh, let's move on to another matter of the home and retirement, Glenn. This is the age-old conversation about downsizing. You know, do you want to downsize to a smaller home? That's kind of been the norm over the last several decades. Just sort of assumed that people follow that line of uh, that line of thinking in that process. Is it still the case today where people seek to downsize, and how does that conversation develop? Well, it does, Walter. I mean, it, it comes up, and, and in essence, I mean, there's not, you know, it's, I don't know if it's wise or unwise. I mean, it's it's more or less. I mean, I always look at housing as it's less of an investment per se, particularly if it's your own personal residence, and it's more of a lifestyle choice, right? It's like where do you want to live, and you know, do you know, does you know, is is the house that you're living in, you know, serving you the way you want to, you know, the the you know, the kind of the where you want to be residing, you know, during your retirement years or you know any other time in your life. It's you know, you you kind of think in terms of well, you know, does it make sense to stay in that in that house? Sometimes folks have a you know a lot of square footage, and they say, you know what, we don't really need all this square footage. But then sometimes when they just go to look at other houses, some newer houses that have been built, sometimes they say, well, golly, I mean, you know, am I going to really trade and, and downsize into something that's smaller and kind of pay the same price, you know, or have the same overall, you know, value? Is a lot of times folks have a have a pause with that because you know they, they say, well, I, uh, I kind of like having our older house, and it's like if you know if we're you know having the same purchase price, you know, then why should I you know just go back to having fewer square feet? You know, I think one of the big questions I often ask folks is, is, you know, do you have a house that's going to allow you to retire in place, meaning that, you know, or age in place, so to speak. So so in essence, you, you know, think in terms of, well, where is the master bedroom? You know, is it upstairs or downstairs? Is it on, is it on the main level? You know, in case, you know, something happens with your health or, you know, unable, you know, your mobility and, you know, it's tougher to navigate the stairs. You know, if you everything is on the, you know, is on the main level, then then it's certainly easier to be able to be in that situation. And, and you know, and, and whether you're going to stay in the, your existing house or possibly move somewhere else. I think th- those types of questions are, you know, are, are probably as important or sometimes more important than whether or not it's the house is, is bigger or smaller. Are you with me? 
I'm with you. A lifestyle choice, more than a financial one in many cases, although I'm sure somebody could make the financial decision to downsize just to give them more empowerment when it comes to what they can do with their funds in retirement when those cases arise. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. I mean, it's a conversation that it's just like it's, you know, and anybody who's listened to us, uh, you know, having conversations over the years, it's always a depend situation, right? It depends upon your particular situation as to whether or not, you know, this is a wise idea or not a wise idea, you know, and and whether or not it's going to serve you. It's just like ultimately, you know, what are the resources that you have and what are your goals and objectives and what are your concerns and, and things that you want to avoid? And then we start to look at all of those pieces of the puzzle. And there's not really ever a situation where there's a one size fits all. And housing and housing wealth is is no exception to that. It's always a you know an individual situation that we want to look at all the details of and and make those kind of determinations. Let's talk rental properties, Glenn. Is rental property a good road to go down? Is it a good idea for creating income in retirement? Well, I mean, that's a scenario that, again, is a kind of an individualized, you know, uh, answer. I mean, typically most folks, uh, you know, are not, you know, it's a rare situation where I have folks come to me and say, you know what, I mean, I've never been a landlord before. I've never owned rental real estate, but now I'm, you know, now I'm going to think about doing it as I'm retiring, you know, um, I, you know, I don't, in fact, I, I can't even remember that I've ever had that, that conversation. I have had, uh, you know, a lot of conversations where folks already have rental property and they've had it for a number of years. And so ultimately it's a good idea or a bad idea. You have to kind of think in terms of, well, are you cut out to be a landlord? Do you really want to do that? You know, or do you have a, do you have confidence in a, it may be a management company that you're working with to do that, you know, to take care of the, day in and day out details. You know, it's it's really, you know, it, you, most people who ends up being, it takes a special breed of a of, of person, I think, to be a landlord, particularly when you're talking about residential real estate, and, you know, and, and, you know, collecting the rent and doing the fix up and all of the different things that, that come into play there. And so the key question is, is number one, do you, you know, have you done it before? You know, and most of the times that, you know, if they have properties, obviously they have, if they haven't, then it's a real red flag to think, Hey, you know, if you haven't done this before, you know, it's like, if you are going to venture down that road, maybe you want to start slow and maybe just do one house and see, you know, how that goes for a while. But, but ultimately, you know, you have to think in terms of do, you know, more often than not, but let's put it this way, Walter, when I talk to people who, who are, you know, who have done this, more often than not, most people are, it's kind of like the idea when, when somebody says, you know, that when was their happiest day of their life is, you know, it's like, well, well, you know, when they, when they, you know, when they bought this rental house, you know, or, you know, somebody says, you know, Hey, the happiest day of my life was when I, when I bought my, when I bought this boat. And then, you know, and then I say, but then they say later, they said, but then after I've had it for a while, the, the happiest day was when I got rid of it. Right. And so because, you know, there's a certain thing that comes with, you know, renting out property that, you know, or like I say, it's like an unpleasant experience, you know, and I, and I kind of try to make the analogy with the boat, you know, so most people, you know, who like being on the water, you know, kind of think, think about, well, gosh, you know, I'd really like to have my own boat. And some people end up do liking that, but a lot of folks is like, you know what, I mean, that, you know, this ended up being a, a nightmare and I just want to get rid of this thing. And so I was really happy when I was able to get rid of it. Kind of the same thing along the, along those lines with a rental property, unless you really enjoy being a landlord and you're, and you have the kind of makeup and personality that you can do that and enjoy that, you know, it's, it's kind of a cautionary thing, you, you know, just make sure that you're cut out for that. And, and then of course the other piece of that too, Walter is, 
you know, you think in terms of, you know, if you're if you're going into retirement, you're going into the older years, you know, I mean, it, it's, you know, oftentimes, you know, be, being a landlord, you know, it takes more more energy and activity and so forth. And you have to think, you know, do you want to deal with that in the retirement years? And then ultimately, as you get older, you know, I mean, it's, it's one thing being in your like, you know, maybe your early 60s, mid 60s or something like that. But I mean, if you end up, you know, you know, keep going through retirement and you get to be, you know, maybe late 70s, 80s and, you know, and beyond, it's like, do you really want to be in that situation, you know, or are you even going to be capable of dealing with that? And that's a whole nother question that comes into, you know, to rental property. Yeah, I think it's just, uh, I love the direction you took it in there of, is it something you've been doing for a while so you at least know what it takes and how long your body's going to be able to hold up following through on all of those items that come up? Or uh, are you trying to get into it for the first time in retirement? Um, right. It also seems right. like real estate's one of those things that, you know, sure, it can be profitable right out of the gate, depending on, you know, the home that you get and getting renters in and that sort of thing. But it's also the kind of thing that over time, it becomes a better and better investment over a long period of time once you get it paid off and then you're, you're making all cash from folks paying. You know, So if you're just now starting the venture in retirement, is it going to be as big of a payoff as some other things? Right. You know, Maybe, right. maybe not. Uh, it depends on some of the situations there, but there's a lot to think about when it comes to rental property. I think it's somebody going into retirement and unless you just really enjoy keeping up with those rental properties or you really need to diversify in some way, shape, or form. Boy, it's a lot easier to just like, you know, buy an investment or two and sit back and relax. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Than all the other concerns that come with the rental property. You know, like like you say, I mean, it just really, it really depends. But, you know, you got to be, if you're going in that direction or if you're already there, you know, you got to be, have your eyes wide open and and realize that it's not, in in most cases, it it tends not to be a passive investment. Let's put it that way. I want to take this in one more direction, Glenn. What complications, if any, have you seen with handling real estate when it comes to the estate and the legacy plan part of the equation? Right. Well, Walter, I mean, this is this ends up going kind of in, a, in an interesting direction, you know. I mean, a lot of times, you know, well, when I start having that conversation with folks about about their house and you know, does it paid off? Do they have do they have any uh, you know, do they have a mortgage still and, and those kinds of things? And we you know, start answering those questions. Do you want to you know, is this going to be your last house? Do you think you're going to move? All of those things come up, and then we then we ultimately get to whether this is their last house or they're planning on moving. Either way. We get to the question of is is like okay well in the end, you know what you know what do you plan on doing with your house you know I mean in terms of your estate plan and you know you know nine times out of ten if you know maybe maybe even more than that maybe ninety nine times out of a hundred you know it's a scenario where they say well you know we're planning on leaving the kid you know that the house to the kids right and you know and and so you know the, one of the first things that kind of comes up in my mind is like well how many kids are there. What is their location? You know, do you, are they all local? Or, you know, they, are they spread out throughout the country? You know, do you, you know, maybe it's one child, maybe it's five, maybe it's more or less, you know, whatever. But that comes into play. And then the other question is, is, well, you know, what are the kids going to do with the house? I mean, do, do you have anybody who any of the kids that want to move in and make it their own personal residence? Or are they more likely to put the house on the market and sell it? Right. And I think I can count on one hand, maybe maybe two hands, how many times I when somebody said, well, you know, one of the kids was, is going to probably move in, right? It's it's almost always, well, what they're going to likely do is they're going to end up selling the house, right? And so you think in terms of okay, well, let's really take a step back and let's think about whether or not you know the, there may or may not be a, a, a different way to think about this because 
you've got to think in terms of, number one, if you have more than one child, they may have different opinions about what they want to do, right? You might have one that says, hey, you know, um, if we you know, if we put it on the market, you know, right now we can, you know, s- you know, sell it rapidly and then we can have, you know, the, the, the proceeds from the sale of the house and then everybody, you know, gets the distribution. You know, others might think, well, wait a minute, you know, in, in most cases, you know, if there's, you know, if folks live to, you know, uh, you know, to an older age, maybe into their late 70s, 80s or beyond, more often than not, that house probably has some deferred maintenance, you know, and, you know, then you have maybe have one child says, hey, well, we need to spend some money and fix it up and then we'll try to sell it for more. Right. And then you start getting into a conflict between the kids. And, you know, that's that's pretty common. Right. It's not uncommon to have those kind of dynamics happen. And then you start asking you a question. Do you really want to have your legacy having the kids fight over what to do with the house? And, you know, and people take a step back and they say, well, I never really thought about it that way. And so they say, well, you know, what else could we do? You know, I mean, what, what you know, how else can we think about this? And so then we start talking about, you know, the the home equity itself and, you know, and, and versus, you know, all of their other accounts, maybe their retirement accounts or investment accounts and those kinds of things. And I said, well, let's talk a little bit about, you know, how equity really works. And, you know, is, is it the same or is it different than other types of of uh, of assets? And they say, well, what do you mean, Glenn? And I say, well, let's think about this. Let's, let's, let's just hypothetically say you have a house and let's say it's worth, I don't know, let's say it's worth $300,000 and, and you own it free and clear. And let's say that you have a neighbor who has the same model in the same neighborhood and their house is worth $300,000 as well. But let's say, just say that they were able to get really favorable financing and they were able to, so through some way or another, they, they financed the entire 300000 So they have absolutely zero equity in the house. Okay. And let's say now you own yours free and clear and they don't have any equity in their house. But let's say now that five years goes by and let's say that it was a really good, you know, real estate market. And let's say that now that, you know, now the house is worth, let's say it's worth $375,000 to $400,000. It was a great real estate market. Well, how much is your house worth? Well, your house is worth somewhere between $375,000 and $400,000. I say, okay, well, that's that's great. Now, what is your neighbor's house worth? And they take a, st- you know, a second. They say, well, it's the same house. It's it's, guys, it's it's kind of worth the same thing, isn't it? And I said, absolutely, that's exactly right. And so their house is worth three seventy-five to four hundred as well. So now, what does that tell you about your equity? And they go, well, what do you mean? I said, well, listen, I mean, you had $300,000 in that house or you have $300,000 in that house and your neighbor had nothing in the house and you both made the same amount of money. That tells you that your equity never earns a rate of return. And then they kind of look at me. It's like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, think about it. Your your neighbor made the same amount of money you did and they had no equity in their property and you had 100% equity in your property. So that means that there was this thing called appreciation on the asset. The house appreciated in value, but it had no it had nothing to do with how much equity you had in the house. It had everything to do with the housing market and the value of those assets and those homes. And so we start thinking about that. And it's like, well, wait a minute. If that's true, then we think in terms of, well, is there a better way to utilize your home equity? Right. And potentially, if you are spending other retirement accounts that have the ability to earn a rate of return and you're using those and spending those down and your home equity is not growing over time, 
And you also asked the question, which we loop back to, well, the legacy, ask yourself this question. If you were in your kid's shoes, would you rather inherit the house or would you rather inherit an account or a death benefit? And they say, well, golly, I mean, I, if, if I have a choice between a house that I may have to fix up or even if I don't have to fix it up, I have to put it on the market and have to deal with all that versus just inheriting an account and I just put my name on it where I inherit a death benefit where, you know, that, that just comes in, you know, as just, you know, as, as a very easy thing. Well, obviously, I would rather I'd rather have that. And so you say, well, you know, that's that you think your kids are kind of the same way. And they say, well, yeah, that might be the case. And so that opens up a whole nother conversation about, you know, whether you downsize or move to a different house or how you possibly may utilize that uh, asset in terms of your home equity. And then how, you know, should you have a mortgage? Should you possibly do a reverse mortgage? You know, and that, that, that opens up a whole different conversation because most folks have never really thought about that. And most people think of a reverse mortgage as the mortgage of last resorts. It's like you only do that if you have to, or you're in a desperate situation. And the reality is, is that the reverse mortgage is like anything else. There are tools in the toolbox, so to speak. It's a financial product that has pros and cons. It has good points and bad points. It's, it's, you know, but there are situations where folks absolutely positively have to do a reverse mortgage because that's their only way of dealing with things. But there are also situations where you can strategically use it so that you can maybe utilize some of that, uh, some of that home equity and let your other assets keep appreciating. And that way you still get the appreciation on your home. You get your assets continuing to grow and you're, and you're able to pass on a legacy that could potentially be significantly larger and your kids may not have to be battling over, you know, whether or not they're going to sell the house or not. And so, again, this becomes an individual um, conversation. It's to everybody's situation, but not everybody's in the same position. And it's certainly something that needs to get on the table and talk about and determine what are you going to do with your home equity? Does it make sense to just, you know, to pay it off? Does it make, make sense to leave it free and clear? Does it make sense to downsize or, to, you know, or, or change your location? Does it make sense to ever use some of your equity for your retirement planning and possible income or offsetting, you know, market losses? There's a whole big conversation there. And I look at it as, as like, hey, it's a whole, we're going to look at your whole picture and the holistic scenario with what you need to do in terms of your overall planning. And it doesn't make sense to completely leave one of your largest assets off to the side and then not at least look at, at, at what your options are and what do you really want to have happen in the end and how do you want your legacy to go and how are you planning on making your retirement work in your best interest and your kids and, your, and all your loved ones' best interest. And so you know, I guess the, the ultimate, you know, end up or the takeaway from this podcast is, is that you really need to be thinking about your whole situation. And let's have a conversation about, you know, your housing wealth and what's there and, and how it can be utilized and positioned and make sure that you want to see, you can see all the things happen that you want to have happen. And like I say, I, I, when I talk about that legacy question and people start thinking about, gosh, I don't want my legacy being my kids fighting over what to do with a house, but that happens you know, more often than a lot of people would like to think about. So many layers and different directions to consider there, Glenn. I never would have thought there were even that many things that we need to keep on top of when it comes to talking about homes and houses. But we covered a couple of uh, key points on today's show. And then that last one, you gave us a lot of food for thought. So it's definitely something that a lot of people, I think, when they're putting together their retirement plans, 
I would think, kind of overlook a little bit, the whole housing situation and the role that that plays. And it sounds to me like you, during your planning process, make sure that that gets brought to the forefront and considered in every plan that you do. Well, Walter, I mean, I, you know, again, I mean, it's a scenario where, yes, you absolutely positively want to look at it. And um, so, you know, again, it's, there's never a one size fits all scenario. But, you know, oftentimes, I'll, you know, I'll ask the question, you know, you know, either when I'm sitting with somebody or when I'm when I'm, you know, having a conversation, um, you know, in, or doing a presentation like, in, you know, in a, you know, in a workshop or a webinar or, or a class or something like that. You know, and I'll ask the question, you know, if what you thought to be true turned out not to be true, when would you want to know about it? And everybody says, you know, they think about it for a second. They say, well, I want to know about it right away. Right. And so I always find that, that talking about your house and your home equity is one of those conversations because the vast majority of people, you know, kind of think of their house as an investment. And, you know, when they, when the, when the value of their house goes up, it's like, well, okay, I've got a rate of return there and it's really something else, you know, and, and then all the different things about legacy and the things that, that are outside of people's awareness because they never really think about. When we start bringing that into focus, sometimes it changes the conversation. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But I always tell folks, you know, if you're going to make wise decisions, you want to have as many facts as you can at your disposal so that you know what you're saying yes or no to, rather than just saying yes or no to something by default because you didn't evaluate all, all the circumstances that were around it. Great points as always, Glenn. Let me give out the information for people to get in touch with you. If you have any questions for Glenn, want to talk about your financial situation, maybe you haven't thought about how the home or real estate properties or the estate and legacy plans, how that all fits into the equation, certainly worth a conversation with Glenn to get a checkup of your financial plan and your retirement plan and uh, make sure that you have everything worked up as it should be and uh, ready for all the different uh, directions retirement will take us in and all these different considerations that need to be taken into account. Here's the number, 336-291-3535. That's 336-291-3535. Or you can find Glenn online at roadmapfinancial.com. That's roadmapfinancial.com. That's the easiest place to get in touch as well. Just click on the free consultation button at the bottom of the page. And you can schedule a time to meet with Glenn at your earliest convenience. Glenn, thanks for the help on today's show. And uh, we'll look forward to another episode with you soon. Absolutely, Walter. Take care now. Join us back each week for a new episode of the Retirement Roadmap Podcast. Walter Storholt with Glenn Mosseller. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.